Hey, this is Jay Worth, your host for Green Industry Perspectives. I just wanted to give you a quick note before we start this episode. We're fully aware there's no shortage of software companies out there, and we're not the only ones specializing in green industry software. One thing that sets single ops apart is our track record of delivering top-notch resources tailored specifically for you and your business. We've been hosting this podcast for years, offering insights and expertise from the best minds in the business. We've been crafting comprehensive guides packed with green industry business best practices for years, and we've been turning out blog content on how to boost your business, streamline services, and exceed your customers' expectations long before our competitors started doing it for clicks. In a world of options, Single Ops has always been your dependable source with a history of supporting you and your success. To access these free resources, head to singleops.com and check out the resources tab. And remember, we were here to help first. You are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives Podcast, presented by Single Ops, a podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. Welcome back to another episode of Green Industry Perspectives, presented by Single Ops. I'm Jay Worth. Really, really excited uh, and grateful that Paul Friend, CEO at Sun Valley Landscaping in Omaha, has made the time to be here today. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks for having me on. I've been listening. Really appreciate what you do. It's an awesome show, so I'm honored to to be on. Oh, stop. I'll slip you 20 for that later. Um, not that you need 20 bucks, but that's okay. Uh, Paul, we, we open every show the same way. Want to make sure that uh, all of our listeners are getting some just immediate upfront value. They have an idea what the show is about. So based on your experience in the green industry, what would you say are the three most common threads in successful green industry companies? Yeah, love this question. I looked at this towards my mentors, some things we maybe are working towards or do pretty good, but it's mainly about what I aspire to be. Um, so the first one, that people first culture, kind of a culture of service and hospitality to customers and employees. Second one, big one I'm working on, focus on a specific or maybe a few specific core customers, core segments, Come not on. trying to be everything to everybody. And then the third, maybe just a personal one of mine, but they're passionate. They have fun. And you can see that on the employees' faces. You can see it on social media. You can see it the way they show up at industry events. Those are the ones I really aspire to be. And I think it leads to success. Could not agree anymore. And I'm very excited to have this conversation. These are all topics that I am actually very passionate about. So <laughs> it's going to be a good episode. Uh, Paul, if you would, just let's back up. Uh, why do we have you on the show? Tell people a little bit about your background, how you got in the industry, and what you're doing now with Sun Valley. Sure. Pretty common industry story, which I love about our industry, entrepreneurial in nature. Um, so my family are farmers. My Both my parents grew up on a farm. I've had one job in my life when I was 14. I was a janitor at my university I ended up going to, which was Creighton. Uh, that was paying five bucks an hour uh, at the time. And my roommate and I, college roommate and I, when we were 19, realized that wasn't enough money for the the lifestyle, the college lifestyle we wanted to live. Uh, we actually started a business for one year that was called You Name It, which might come up later when I talk about uh, not focusing on one core customer. So we did that for a year. Uh, we did like $20,000 of revenue, uh, you know, which felt like a lot back then. 
I then gravitated towards the lawn side of it. He gravitated towards the paint, uh, painting side. So, uh, the second year bought a lawnmower at a garage sale, literally for $50. It lasted one lawn. I realized why that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I basically went after my network at, at school. So I put flyers in our professor's mailboxes, put it on their cars back in the day. You know, that's just what you did. I realized later that was not legal for university <laughs> policy. Um, but yeah, I was off and running in college, just mowing lawns, taking care of stuff, really just as a side gig, like like many people, friends and, and you know, some uh, acquaintances worked for me. Gra day of graduation, I literally didn't have a plan. I just realized I had to take my cap and gown off and go mow lawns. That's literally what happened. And that's when I realized this is what I was doing for a living. Um, so then we kind of started to make it a real business. This was like 2006, 2007. My mom was one of my first full-time employees. She designed landscapes for me and was our first like landscape crew, which was awesome. Um, she she taught me a lot. My dad was an engineer, uh, estimating engineer. So uh, I'm just now learning all the things he was teaching me 20 years ago about estimating, running a business, <laughs> et cetera. So it was a real family affair to start with. Um, yeah, we just kind of grew through through that period from maybe 2008 till now. It was uh, not steady as far as you know success or what we were doing, but continued growth. Um, so, like I said, very common story. Uh, now we're uh, we we merged businesses in 2012 with a our supply yard and my current business partner who's a landscape architect. So we had done maintenance work, snow removal. My partner is a landscape architect, does obviously installs. And then we have a supply yard. So a little unique for our business. We kind of have both the design, install, maintenance, and I guess thirdly, the supply yard side, which has its own challenges, but is also can be a strategic advantage. Uh, we'll have about 70 people during the season. Currently, we're, we're doing about 50-50 residential commercial. We do snow removal, uh, as we were just talking about before the show during the winter. We're in Omaha, Nebraska. I guess I didn't mention that. Um, and yeah, that's that's a little bit about us. Now, I'm curious about the yard. Can I just ask a follow-up yep. question? Yeah, do absolutely. Sell, do you sell um, like retail to people that just like show up with a pickup truck or? We do both. Yep. We we do, you know, mo most of it's contractors, uh, but there are DIYers that come in here. We're we're in an area of town that uh, we're close to like, like a lot of where maybe some more blue collar folks live and uh, that type of thing. So there are a lot of DIYers that do some serious projects. So they'll come in uh, also obviously contractors one advantage we have is like we'll help them just make we won't we won't design for them but make sure what they're about to do is you know we install landscaping so we can help them on in that regard Amen. Um, yeah that's awesome tough business though it's very capital intensive and uh it, it's just different and, and you know we run it under one roof so the the cash flow operates a lot differently everything is quite a bit different but we're working on ways to just make this a strategic advantage for you know, so that they collapse their synergy between the installation business and, and the supply yard. Yeah. I love that. Paul, thanks so much for giving us the, the background there. And I want to dive into these topics. First one was people first cultures. You talked about service, hospitality, kind of genuine care for people. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. always excited to have a people first conversation. I am at heart. Um, uh, my wife used to tell people I'd never met someone that wasn't my friend, right? Like, I, yep. Just, <laughs> yep. I like people. Um, and I heard this from lots of business leaders, but I always try to ask the same question because I think that's the point of the show is to draw your point of view out of this. 
explain mm-hmm. what you mean when you when you say people first what does that look like to you you probably get like a specific this is an example of people first or um this yep. is how we practice it at sun valley what does that look like for you yep i mean talk about potentially the ultimate cliche of a core value people come first that's what our first core value is uh what it means to me i realized isn't the same or inherent like it is for you and i like you mentioned you can make friends anywhere that that's me so this you know spurred from that um what it means to me we actually changed our core values to be single words so now that core value is called humans so what it means is like we chose to run this business we all chose to set our alarm wake up and come here the point of it the the part that makes life beautiful is interacting with our fellow humans. So whether that is the way you show up in the morning with hopefully energy and coffee, those go together for me. Um, But, you know, happy attitude, like you want to be here, supporting your teammates, um, whether it's with clients, which to me is all about hospitality and service. I don't know if you've watched the show, The Bear, uh, but it's a culinary show. Anybody listening, I'd really recommend it. There's an episode of season two. It's the seventh episode. It's called Forks. It's about this guy going on a journey to work at what is supposed to be the French Laundry, the nicest restaurant in the world. And it takes you behind the scenes of what that is there. And just if you if you Google this after the show, just Google the bear forks. And there's this little this little scene of the guys shining the forks and he's not doing it right. So the other guy takes him outside and says, look, man, every day is the Super Bowl here. People save up for maybe years to come eat at this restaurant. We need to greet them well. We make the reservation. The food's perfect, but also, you know, the forks need to be clean. Everything needs to be in a way that they would want it to be at their, you know, their ultimate Super Bowl of coming here and spending money. And that's a lot like landscaping. This is discretionary. It's, you know, big dollars for people to spend. And, you know, also just the way you choose to spend your life, you want to do things at this high level, at least for myself. So, It comes to like all the little things you're doing, people notice, I guess that's one. And two, like you might as well show up the best you can because you chose to be there that day. So uh, the, the beyond that, I think the biggest part of it is just our business touches a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different humans. So uh, in our community is big. We give back a lot to our community. Um, so whether that's just through landscape service, which by the way is the ultimate way to do community service because I mean, beautiful landscapes. Everybody loves it. Everybody needs it. Um, So just thinking about, you know, I have this business. It's not just a financial instrument, presuming you're not, sorry, running a private equity firm. Um, But if it's, you're an entrepreneur and it's your own business. (laughs) Shots fired. (laughs) I like it. This this thing is worth more than just a financial instrument. At least it is for me. I chose to dedicate my life to this. I've been doing it for 23 years. So I want to make impact. and, And that's the way I make impact is by the way we show up. I, I recently did a training with my our team, our sales team, about because uh, they're always like, "What does this mean? Instinct to serve, or anticipating needs, or hospitality?" So I just tried to write up is is real quick, but like, what does hospitality mean to me? So be positive, practice active listening, be attentive to the other you're talking about or your other you're talking to. Smile, greet them warmly. Jay, we greet people with their name. Uh, we personalize the conversation, we do research, and we offer comfort by anticipating their needs. So we do, it, I challenge our team to do that with our clients and our fellow teammates. Yeah, I, and I'm glad you touched on this because I was going to ask, one of the things you had mentioned um, was something about service. And so it's mm-hmm. like, who, who, do you, who do you serve? And it sounds like, you know, it doesn't matter, customer, vendor, team members, 
everybody that comes in like that's you know put on the like you got to perform like it's the super bowl that's just how we're this is yep. how we display that people first yeah is that fair that's fair we we recently did a disc profile with our leadership team and i realized this i called it the instinct to serve for me and probably you this is just instinctual but not everybody and it's no good or bad because i have plenty of faults <laughs> but one thing i know is like i want to show up and serve people and like maybe it's there's something there but i want to make them happy and, and have a good impression of me if it's possible so it starts literally i wake up both my daughters in the morning i could wait i could do that you know no coffee. So I love coffee, by the way. It's the morning for everybody <laughs> listening. Uh, but I could show up and just kind of be grumbly and not be making a big day for them. Or I could wake up and be like, hey, baby, good morning. You got dance class this morning. We got show and tell and be excited. And my with kids, it's perfect because they give you immediate feedback and you just yeah. watch them light up. And that happens with adults, too. So it's from the way you answer the phone and the way mainly the way you answer or you solve problems, because if people know you care about them, we're going to mess up. We mess up all the time. So the point is like having that that energy, that empathy and just a genuine care for people. And, and like I said, it can it can go to the community and all that stuff. But but hopefully this makes sense. It's just more of a mindset for me. No, it makes it makes total sense, because I think. um so one of the things we've talked about, and, I, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, but we've talked about it on this one before as well, is when you show up, you, because you talk about company, people, everyone wants to talk about company culture, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And there was this um, podcast that I listened to from the Harvard Business Review, where they had a social anthropologist on the show, and he had gone from studying tribes in these remote jungles in South America to being a corporate culture like anthropologists. Mm. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And one of the things he said that like really resonated with me, he said, culture begins anytime you put two people in the same room. Like anytime two people are interacting, a culture begins to form. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was like light bulb for me. Okay, every time I walk into a room, I can set the tone. I can I can decide what that culture is if there's somebody else in the room. I get to I get influence. I get say mm -hmm. in what happens with that culture. So like I can choose to like bring my crappy attitude or like this traffic I got stuck in or whatever in the room with me, or I can choose to bring positivity and I can choose to, um, and that's, I'm not always great at this. Like admittedly, <laughs> there's yep, times where yep. I'm like salty about something, but I, but then I, I try and catch myself, right? Because I helped wherever you are, you help decide to set the culture. And I think kind of what you're, what, what you're saying reminds me of is, Okay being intentional about the culture that you're setting in a positive way because it impacts those other people in the room. Mm -hmm. And what you said, I really like, I, I'm going to use that with my team. We've been talking a lot about agency, personal agency, as in um, we all have some power to control the outcomes in our life. We can't, yes. I should say, we have the opportunity to do what we can do to create an, uh, an outcome we may like. So it, what, what, what you were mentioning remind me of, and maybe this is just our company, but there can be a different culture happening out in the shop, which is 20 feet away from me versus in my sales team room versus Absolutely. the finance room. Um, and, you know, I can't be in all those places at one time. So uh, and it's not like the, the culture is not mine. It's you know, it's our teams. And I can only hope to make my own personal impact on it. You know, of course, we can do activities that lead to good culture, uh, you know employee events and all that kind of stuff. But 
the same is true. If you show up for a uh, employee event and you're not in it and you're not engaged, you're not listening. It's, it's not worth doing anyway. So it's, it's more about the, for me, it's more about the attitude than the activity. Um, it, it's, it's the same as like you, you want to give a client a gift. You could give them a thousand dollar gift or you could write them a meaningful handwritten note. The handwritten note may be worth more than the very fancy gift. So um, that, that applies kind of to everything. So I, I love that story about the anthropologist, by the way. That's awesome. Yeah. Remind me and I'll send you the podcast link. Um, yeah. So I, that's, that's my thing is I'm like, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. You, you have agency and I have led those teams, right. Where like I'm leading a team that's part of a larger company and it's like, well, my team, like we're rocking and rolling, like we're positive. We're having a good day. Everyone else might be, you know, doom and gloom or salty or whatever, but like, my team's chill. Like we're, we're rocking and rolling. We're upbeat because, you know, I partly because I set the tone as a leader, but partly because I hired people that also wanted to be, you know what I mean? Those are, those are the people you have on your team. So, um, well, part is, of it's if, if things are going rough that day and Jay doesn't react with stress, they're, they're watching how you, how you are at, reacting. So, uh, if you, if you're reacting with positivity and like, Hey, that wasn't great but you know, we got this, um, it can make a big difference. I mean, I can share a story of just this week and I was mentioning it to, to you before, uh, we had, we did a whole bunch of snow. We did our annual budget of snow in the last eight days, a lot, you know, I think it's 12 events in 16 days, something like that. We did great on the snow removal. We did not do great on the timekeeping and billing and all those Ooh. things. Well, and which is, you know, is going to happen. But what I really noticed, you know, I, I got in, I was like, hey, we got payroll due in 48 hours. I had people, our field managers, other people in the office, folks jumped in. I just, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm like, well, I'm going to work here until it's done. You know, one o'clock in the morning, I had two other field managers doing the same thing. I didn't ask them. They're just like, oh, I got you, man. And it, it, it could have been one of those like... um you know, it could have been a moment which wasn't a bonding moment or a positive experience. But I tell you what, the next morning, those guys, how is, how's that payroll going? How's, you know, how do we do? And they were super energized and and we went and did another snow event. And I, I know for a fact they were way more positive about the company, way more positive about what we were doing. It tied also to like, hey, uh, all this is for, you know, paychecks. This is our biggest payroll we've had in 12 months, I'll tell you that. Uh, and I think it really resonated with them, like showing them, you know, this is hard stuff, but we can do it together. And like, it makes a difference for our teammates. So another example of just like serving those two field managers working late, that was serve, that was serving, you know, so that anyway, that I love that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. They wanted to make sure that the guys that have been like shoulder to shoulder with them through all these events got paid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yep. that's important. Yep. There's nothing that kills morale faster, especially during snow, right? <laughs> You got exactly. guys out at three o'clock in the morning, freezing their backsides off, and then they don't get paid. Forget it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so. you know, like most things, when you screw up, it, it creates the opportunity to make it. Like I feel like that. I'm almost happy that we had poor paperwork because it was hard. We got through it. Everybody got stretched for like two days to make it happen. And now, you know, one, we probably will learn the lesson, but two, like, I feel like I can feel that we are much more bonded and close together. And it was, it was really because of a, a failure you could call it. So. Yeah. I love that. That's, we could probably do a whole episode on that perspective. <laughs> um, but so speaking about services, right, you guys are doing yeah. snow. Snow is one of the core services that you offer. 
you talked about core customer or segment, mm. core services, not trying to be all things that to all people. Um, yep. There's a, a, a an emphatic yes in my notes, uh, along with like, <laughs> stay in your lane, <laughs> uh-huh, figure out uh-huh. your lane and stay in your lane. How do people learn to be disciplined in this way? Like, how do people figure out who that core customer is or the core service that they want to offer and then stick to it? What help us out? I'm the perfect person to ask that to, because it's the hardest for me, uh, <laughs> which I've told my team, most things I'm like training you is a, mostly a reminder to myself. So this would be one of those. Um, we start, like I said, we started, I started in college. I did in, my first business name was called you name it. Uh, it, it. The vision was like, you need plumbing. We got you. You need painting. We got you. Uh, <laughs> I, I took that idea, obviously, and brought it to the green industry. So like most people, you do anything when you get started. We've evolved the business multiple times. So 2008, 2009, we were actually in the grading and sodding and landscaping business of new homes. Uh, obviously, that wasn't great timing. Um, we then became like we did the most apartment maintenance in town. And, you know, but we worked for a business that did foreclosed homes slightly after that. Uh, and then, you know, slow, when I merged with my partner, we started doing high end landscape work, but we we're also still serving. We had like a little miniature lawn care company inside the business. Like we did, you know, several hundred fertilizer only clients. You do this for 10 years and you don't have great discipline. We had some guardrails, but we didn't have great guardrails. You end up with this, uh, the positive connotation would be, we have a diversity of revenue that is from all <laughs> segments and customer types. The negative is, you know, this makes sense to Paul to intuitively know that FERT client gets this particular type of communication or service, whereas the $100,000 corporate campus gets something different and you go see them every week and you you, you just, you treat it differently. <clears throat> I've got myself in trouble because what I just described is not a, is not a system, is not a process, and it's hard to execute on all of those to a high level that I described at the beginning. So this really just came from a realization for myself that we can't do everything to everybody. I, I threw in the towel, you know, I, you know, maybe that's part of my, part of the negative part of serve is just, you know, you want to serve everybody. We realize the work with that. So to, to answer your question, how do we decide uh, what gives us energy? What do we love? Like, what do we love doing? Who loves us? That's, you know, cause there's certain clients that you are just a line item on their budget um, and they really don't care. Uh, but there's some people that love what you do. I would love the customers that are, you may frame it as slightly critical, but they're like, Hey, the way that boxwood was, was sheared. I don't like that. You know, I want it to be this way. I love those customers cause I love their landscape. So our purpose is about inspiring others to enjoy their outdoors. So that's what we really look for in our clients. They're going to need to spend enough to justify the superior service that we're trying to provide. So when you add those two things together, like, hey, this is how we want to operate. This is who needs that service. It kind of got us to where our niche needs to be. So commercial maintenance and snow removal uh, for class A properties, ideally. Um, We do do some affluent residential maintenance. Now, this is our vision. So we still have some things that aren't this, but that's where we want to go. One idea with the residential piece is just lifetime, total lifetime value of customer. I, I want to have deep, less relate. I want to have less relationships, but deeper relationships. So mm. uh, that that will 
have us take care of all their maintenance. 10 years later, we'll have us do their giant. This just happened in this, you know, in December, hundred thousand dollar landscape job. That's the type of relationship that we want to have. Um, so yes, that's where we're heading towards. We are at the point what you were describing of the discipline required. So the way we're handling it is we're finding referral partners that maybe they do want a, uh, mid-level mowing and fertilizer account that's a good fit for them and they will be maybe the owner on site that gives them great service so we're trying to connect these people with those folks but yeah the way we figured it out was what do we love doing who loves what we're doing basically is the two kind of framework of it and you know financially what makes sense for the business um the other hidden thing that happens is your overhead structure gets all messed up so if you're trying to have, and none of the, so if you have like, let's just say six different businesses inside one, you have a, a little lawn care business, you have a little irrigation service, you have a residential segment, commercial segment, and I mentioned supply yard. Now you need overhead for each of those, but it's not big enough for anybody to focus on it all the time. So you have this overhead trying to do two different, three different things, uh, you know, being totally transparent, our overhead is too high. And one of the reasons is because we don't have any scaled up operations. So that's that's where we're trying to go. The the businesses that I see being successful are super focused. I mean, it's I don't think it's a uh it's not for a re it's not for no reason that the two biggest companies that are publicly traded or any of the scaled up ones you see on the top one hundred, generally they have a pretty a pretty defined niche. We do commercial maintenance. We do lawn care if you're true green or something. Um, I don't think that's by accident. So that's where we're going with it. Um, and yeah, it's it's not a thread that we have perfect. We're working towards it, but it's a thread that I see that the best in our industry do have figured out. Yeah. And I love the way you phrase that. Like, what do we love doing? Who loves us? That was one of the things that I thought about as you're trying to narrow. I'm actually working on a, a best practices guide for this, like for to help businesses like navigate this process. Um, and you said it has to make financial sense, right? Like, what are you earning the best profitability with? And what are you least profitable with? And then I think, um, tell me if this one's crazy. You, you, I'm not a business owner. You tell me, okay. Uh, what lines of work, like what service lines does your current workforce have the greatest expertise with, right? Like, cause maybe yeah. you've got a bunch of guys that are like design build heavy and you've got them out shearing shrubs on a commercial property. They're like, this sucks. You yep. know what I mean? Like, yep. Yep. But they know how to get the work done efficiently. So maybe you don't have the best profit margin with your design build stuff, but you can earn it. You can do it profitably. And your mm -hmm. team loves doing it. That's what gets them energized. That's what they're passionate mm -hmm. about doing. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there's a DNA to the business. Cause you know, we have just yeah. like we've, uh, my partner started the business in 1995. There's nobody from then, but there's people that are pushing 20 years. Um, most of them design build folks. And, and we have a group of construction, heavy hardscape, very efficient. They love doing it. Uh, I would be insane to not, focus on that side of the business right because like you said we have the expertise and the passion uh and if you follow our social media you'll see we love it we post the pictures about it all the time yeah, um it's fun to do construction um so so yes i totally agree with that um i, I was gonna mention like on the financial side uh, this was just kind of something that occurred to me when i dug deep on it you know basically assigned you know a lot of people assign overhead to different classes so our landscape division, our maintenance division, our snow, our yard. 
I had to go a little further and say, okay, what in that maintenance division, for example, who is all serving this very specific set of residential customers? So the margin's actually really high on those, the gross margin, you know? But when you start to look at overhead leverage or like revenue per overhead dollar, unless you scale that lawn care side of your business up, you may make it on gross margin, but then you're spending it all back on overhead, if that makes sense. Whereas on a commercial side, you know, one account manager can manage $2 million of revenue. Residential side is it's less than half that. So um, trying to make that whole picture work, if that makes sense, that's how I started to look at it. Because before I was just like, oh, gross margins high on that. Well, of course, we'll keep doing that forever, right. you know? Right. So yeah, just just that other piece of it. No, absolutely. That makes complete sense. And I think, and maybe we've already just answered a lot of this, but like, what concrete benefits does the business gain from like, okay, we're going to figure out what lane to be in and we're going to stay in the lane. Like why do that? Are there benefits outside of the financials that we've just talked about? Yep. Uh, well, you can, if you ask my team, because of that diversity, everybody's always at a 10 damn near, uh, there's no white space you would call it. So to grow a commercial segment of your business, you're going to need some white space. Your account managers need to have some breathing room. One, to serve their current customers, but two, you know, call on some new ones. Commercial customers aren't just going to generally call you. I mean, they might occasionally, but you got to go earn that business. You got to go network. You got to do all those things. If you have your commercial account manager also managing, you know, hey, just do this $200,000 of like small residential stuff. Uh, there's no white space. So the benefit that Jay, I'm hoping happens <laughs> is by deduction, you get addition. So as in doing less, you can do more of the thing you want to do. This, as you maybe can tell, is, is a little scary to say, hey, let's drop, you know, whatever it is, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars of revenue this year. Oh, and also grow the overall business. So not only do you have to recoup that, we have to grow new stuff. So uh, this is a theory, you know, if you have me back on in a year, I can tell you how it works, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the calendar for right now. Let's just do this. But no, I, yeah, I, and I've been a part of businesses that did that, right? Like they were like, all right, even just for, um, and it was actually in a lawn care sense, even just for the sake of routing, like they had sold mm -hmm. a bunch of little, like one-off applications. We do two sprays a year at Mrs. Johnson's place. 45 minutes away and we do this mm -hmm. we had to call them all and say you're going on a, a full program or, or that's it we're out yep yep yeah we lost totally. hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue but it's like rip the band-aid off it, it once you get to a certain stage of growth you almost have to right yep. like you have to to figure yep. out how to stay in that in that lane and so that you can hit that next stage of growth is that kind of what you're driving that at yeah, we do EOS traction and in that traction book, they call it hitting the ceiling. They're referring to it as an individual, you know, an individual person hit the ceiling of their capacity. Uh, so that happened. Yes. But also the business kind of what you're alluding to hit its own ceiling of like, it almost like naturally just called to us from uh, some feedback from customers, primarily those stress of the team. Like we can't keep doing all these different things um, and make it make sense. So uh, that's that's how I look at it is like we just hit, you know, we, we did uh, almost $9 million of revenue last year. And that I don't think you can I don't think we could go much further without choosing a, a more specific lane, as you said.
So there are going to be folks listening to this right now who are maybe in the early stages of building their business. It's really tough. You know, to your point, you said when it was early days, like I said yes to everything because I couldn't afford to, mm-hmm. you know, they've mm-hmm. got payroll. Think about at what point does a business owner really need to get serious about this topic, about like whittling it down and figuring out a lane so that they can um, hit the next stage of growth? Yeah. I mean, I, I I mentor with the NALP navigator program. So I have two uh, mentees. I don't know if kids are just smarter now or what, but both these guys have very specific niches. One is about like an organic high-end gardening. You know, they install these type of edible gardens and very nice native gardens and maintain those. He's growing native plants and this, you know, he's, he's just smaller in early in his journey. Uh, and the other one's just doing all construction. So ideal answer to what you said is, is from the beginning. Uh, but yeah. it, uh, I would argue, you know, that million dollars I know is a classic line and maybe with inflation, that number is 1.5 million now. I don't know. Um, but I know for me personally, when I hit that million dollar mark, I couldn't do all of it anymore. And so I think for sure at that number, as soon as you're trying to create systems and get other people to go execute on what you're trying to do. I think it's going to be way easier. I'll put it this way. You're going to go faster and it's going to be way easier. If you have a specific focus, um, you could teach someone how to serve just commercial customers a lot quicker than you could say, let's do some commercial. Oh, manager. You're also going to do some residential and a little bit of landscape construction management. Like you got all that. I did it. Um, so I think this, this, as soon as you hire that first, like whatever you want to call it, foreman operations person, something, uh, I'd be, that would be my big recommendation. Even is it simple as the person that answers your phone? If you yeah. only have a very specific type of, uh, customer, they can sort of know how all of them are without having to set context of who this person is, how much are they spending? What are they doing with us? Like there's a whole thing that people have to figure out before they can even serve the customer. So, um, back to that, like story I was telling you that that restaurant's not serving you pizza, even if you want pizza, like it's a fine dining restaurant they probably couldn't serve you a simple pizza. Like, so that's, it's the same, same idea. Uh, if you think about a restaurant. Yeah. I love that. And your last point, you mentioned, uh, passion, like mm. people that are having fun. People want to do business with companies that make the process fun. Uh, I think <laughs> we need a lot more of that. In fact, uh, Justin white was on the show earlier this season. He just had something on LinkedIn and said, uh, about like uh, he talking about the customer and delivering, you know, exceptional experiences, world-class experiences for customers. And I just commented something like offhand, like, Oh, good stuff, dude. And he was like, well, what specific recommendation? He's like at me in the comments, you know, uh. <laughs> like trying to get value for his post. And I was like, I think this is it. I think like one of those things is we need to be easy to do business with. I don't know what you, how do you feel about that? I love that. My my favorite compliment is when clients say, your employees seem so happy. And that person is not going to fire that landscape company. If the person out yep. building their patio is having fun with their coworkers and smiling and laughing, uh, you're just drawn to that. And you're going to go meet that person, whether they maybe look different from you or come from a different country or whatever. Like you as the customer and be like, oh man, that's, you know, Billy or Jose out on that job, I'm gonna go meet that person. He's having a great time. Uh, we've all had service people at our home that are grumpy 
and just like you know they're obviously the person that is just getting a paycheck i never call those companies back you know so it 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 just leads to a better experience and as you were mentioning like from the service piece uh, i think a lot of us get maybe not a lot of us some of us get confused on what we're really doing which is we're customer service businesses that happen to do landscaping or lawn care or snow removal um you only have to be pretty good at the those services and treat them really well of course you fix it and you do a professional job but i'm saying uh i was just out doing some side audits for snow most of the properties are professionally done like they look good uh and like our competitors i'm saying uh, so you're not going to really differentiate probably too much on like, we can clear that snow quicker and make it perfect, you know, more perfect than the other guys. Like, eh, that's going to be a tough sell. But, you know, if we communicate ahead of the storm, during the storm, after the storm, proactively check to make sure it's all done, uh, you know, make the billing clear, all these things that make it easy. Um, I'm sure some people, after I mentioned we have these 12 events in 16 days, some companies are just going to send one bill and be like, figure it out. We're sending, you know, weather reports that tell them exactly what happened. It's it's event by event. It's very detailed. It and we send an email already ahead. Say this is what you're going to expect over the next ten days for billing, to make it easy to do business with, like you said, for the accounts payable person at that company. Because you know we have one of those too. That's why I always tell my our team is like, we're on the other side of this too. If the if one of our vendors sends us a crazy bill or doesn't communicate with us, we're not happy, right? So. We're this, oh, we are man. somebody else's vendor, you know, uh, the beautiful part about our economy, right? Everybody's uh, revenue is somebody else's expense. So like that's, that, that I try to teach that. So even from like the financial side, uh, it's all about, you know, that can, you can do an excellent job on someone's house. And if you bill it messed up or confusing, they could still be mad. You know, you just got to make it easy. The whole process. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, I know there are people so like when I post this to LinkedIn, you can at me in the comments. If you listen to this episode, that's fine. <laughs> there are people listening to this who rolled their eyes when you said, make it fun, right? They're like, okay, man, whatever. It's business. What do you say to them? Because I agree with you. I'm a hundred percent team Paul on this. Like I don't want to work at a boring place. I don't want to uh, work with boring, grumpy people. Um, yep. And as a customer, like I'd say one of the, one of the best experiences I ever had at Walmart when my wife and I lived in Florida, there was this one dude and he was like deadpan, like, like dry humor. Mm -hmm. He always had these like zingers, you know, you mm -hmm. walk in, you'd be like, Hey dude, how you doing? And he just like grabs your stuff, like totally just starts scanning. He's like, no place I'd rather be today than my local Walmart. You know, like, he was just, <laughs> but he was doing it on purpose with a shtick. And dude, he cracked me up every time. We loved going. We're like, oh, dude, let's get in his line. Like, I was waiting in line for this guy. Right? Isn't that amazing? Because it was fun. <laughs> right. And right. As, a, as a customer, your customers want the same thing. So, like, how do we make it fun? How do we make it yeah. fun? How do we make it personal without your phone blowing up and without professionalism going out the door? How does that, where's the, what's that balance like and how do you do it? Mm -hmm. I love how you shared that a different personality type can do it. Cause I, if people were watching the video, Jay and I are both having fun right now. We're smiling. We have good nonverbal communication. Like we like doing this. Somebody else may be on this show. That's more quiet and reserved, but they can have fun in their own way. Like your Walmart greeter. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I guess I'd put it. So one, we have a choice. We've made a choice to go work at this place. Like we're going to spend 
I don't know, uh, at least a third of your Monday through Friday life. I mean, more than likely a lot more than that in our industry. Um, one of my mentors, Mike Bogan, Landcare, he talks about this a lot, but he doesn't quite believe in the exact work-life balance that gets out there a lot, whereas like there's a line and, you know, there's work and then there's life. His point is like work should be life-giving too. Like, and and maybe some part of your life is also part of the work. As If you're an entrepreneur listening to this, I know you know exactly, you know, there is no, the line is completely blurred uh, of work and life. So it really is like, do you want, for me, this is my opinion, like, do you want to live a happy and, and positive and energy filled life? Uh, and if so, you know, you should probably put that into the the work part of it, because that's going to be a third of it is going to be at work. If you're miserable for a third of it, I would challenge you, like, go, go find something else to do. Uh, and I will, you know, the, this conversation you may think, oh, you know, Paul's always happy and stuff. I have this little group text with other uh, landscape professionals. And we have this funny little rule where it's like, if you like your job two days out of the week or more, you're winning. Uh, so, so I don't want to give the wrong impression, like every day's freaking <laughs> roses or something. But uh, is it, it to me, it's just more like, okay, you know, today was tough. Tomorrow I'm going to show up again and give it my dang best to be happy and engaged. And there's a lot of it where you're you're talking yourself up, you're visualizing it, you're giving yourself uh I'm forgetting the word, but positive reinforcement to yeah, uh you know jump, pump man. yourself back up. Exactly, exactly, man. If you're not who who else is going to be, you know? That's so it. that's how I look at it. That's it, dude. I couldn't agree with that. I don't think any more strongly. Uh, how should businesses go about like encouraging this from their employees? or encouraging employees to incorporate, again, without losing professionalism, without sacrificing quality, what are, what are some practical steps that they can take to like, you know, even just gauge the customer's current sentiment about working with them and then mm. like improve on it? Are there ways they can go start to practice this uh, a little bit more effectively? Yeah. Uh, of course we do surveys and all that kind of stuff, but I'll, I'll give you one that's maybe a little unique and we tend to do this in the third quarter and I always call it a knock and smile campaign. So basically crew leaders, uh, you know, rightfully so are there to get the work done and aren't always going up to, and I'm talking maintenance, the landscape guys probably are getting to know you, but the point is to knock and greet the customer and literally say, Hi, I'm Mark. I'm your crew leader. I've been taking care of your property all year. Thank you. Is there anything I can do for you, you know, better? And I'd love to say, Jay, that they just do this every week, but I'm just a realist person and they're not. So, <laughs> um, but when we do that little thing, I've called it a smile campaign before. I've called it a knock and greet before. Uh, basically, they have a little incentive to get some reviews if someone mentions their name, which always helps the business too. But no one's going to mention your name if you don't go introduce yourself and say hi. Yeah, and like, right. it's almost like creating the condition. It's like your anthropologist. We've put two people face to face and and one is serving and one is the customer. Good things are going to happen. So that's that's an easy or maybe not easy, but that's one we do. And then just like the way you mentioned Slack before a call, right? Whether whatever you use, text or WhatsApp or Facebook groups, um, you know, encourage the fun people. This is I literally do this. I encourage the fun people to post stuff for their work. Like, hey, dude, you love that. <laughs> love you it. sent me you sent me a picture of it. Like, post that and and just say why you like it. Like, it doesn't have to be too hard. Um, 
but yeah, once you get going, I mean, what it ends up being a stripe competition for the Mo guys, which I love. Uh, but you know, they're just having fun. They're jabbing at each other a little bit. Like, um, celebrating the work is a great way to do it. I guess is really what I'm trying to get at there. Uh, celebrate the work. And that, again, that'll happen. You get two crew leaders chatting it up, maybe being a little competitive. I'm going to bet that's going to be a fun experience, you know, at some point they'll get, they might be a little competitive, but they'll be like, man, I respect you. Hey, I respect you. And that's fun. You know, for me, I'm a competitor. So. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think that, um, one of the things that you've stumbled on here, and I think that a lot of business leaders overlook is finding those people. doesn't matter what their job title is. You said, I go find the fun people, right? You're mm-hmm. finding the people with influence. Yep. Yep. It doesn't totally. matter if they're a frontline worker, a supervisor, a crew leader, doesn't matter. Like, okay, I know they have the ability to impact the mood in the room. So let me go get that person and co-op them into my agenda. Not in a bad way, totally. not like you're brainwashing them, right? But like, <laughs> but like, hey, I know I can get them on board. I know I can get them on side. And I know that doing so will impact the rest of the, the way the rest of the company feels about it. Because these people are leaders too. They yep. carry influence. We do awards at the end of the year. And one of them, my favorite one is the class clown award. Right. And that, uh, that winner, everybody in that room, even if it's 70 people, everybody literally knows that person. Yep. And I think that if you're listening and you have a class clown at your company, I bet you everybody at your company knows that person. So yes, <laughs> finding those, but people are just drawn to people with good energy. that are having fun, no matter what it is. Yep. Friends, you know, friends, family, community, customers, employee, you know, your coworkers, you're just drawn to the fun people. So I, maybe it's like pointing a spotlight on them or encouraging them to do that properly <laughs> or do it, you know, in a professional way. Uh, but probably it's just more intention to spend time with them. That's, that's what, that's what we've done. A lot of those folks, not surprising, have ended up taking careers somewhere else and, several of them still come back to sun valley and like just say hi like ex-employees or whatever yeah yeah, absolutely um and they're active on our like company's social media page like they loved working here and so they keep coming back it's like that's that heart of that culture that i think we have um and maybe i've never thought about this way maybe it starts with fun i don't know i think i think that could be part of it we used to have a campaign or a little slogan that was uh make landscaping fun again. That was a one annual theme for a year. Uh, and it was pretty cool. It, it, it caught a lot of excitement and energy from our team. Yeah. I, lo- I love this. I love it. This whole conversation has been so energizing. Um, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, if someone wanted to learn more about Sun Valley, they want to follow up with you personally, how, how would they reach out? How would they get in touch to learn more about what you, uh, what you guys are doing or ask you follow-up questions? Sure. We're on obviously all the social medias. It's Sun Valley Omaha, uh, generally on all the, all those platforms. LinkedIn's a good way to connect with me. Um, you can email me as well. It's Paul, P-A-U-L at sunvalleyomaha.com. I, I love having conversations with people. Um, and just uh, the best part of our industry is that we all share and grow together. That's literally how I've learned how to do dang near anything in this industry. Um, and as a call out, as a promotion, if you will, uh, the NALP, National Association of Landscape Professionals, like literally changed my life. I just was on a trip with 12 oh, really good couple friends that my wife and I have. These are friends. We love them. They've helped me in really dark times. They've helped me financially on like a 
business transaction I needed. They've given me advice just wide open. And if you go in that room and give the energy we're talking about, you're going to get so much more back. So whether it's NALP or state association or EO or something, entrepreneur organization, something, if you're listening to this, like go find your tribe, go find, you know, people that think yep. like you and are doing stuff like you. So that would be my, that would be my little promotion there. <laughs> Absolutely. Get connected. Yeah. Cause I think you're a board member, right? NALP. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just recently uh, hung up the cleats, but yeah, six years oh, as a board you? member. Wow. Yep. Wow. Well, thank yep. you for serving in that way, man. I appreciate it. Um, I've been to some cool uh, NALP events under that tenure. Yep. So appreciate it. Paul, thank awesome. you so much for making the time today. I really appreciate you. And I know everyone listening to this is going to get a ton of value from it. Jay, it was awesome. Thanks again for doing doing this and single ops. I mean, it's an investment. I got get value out of it all the time. So, and the way you approach it with energy and passion uh, and fun, I appreciate. And it's what's made me kind of listen to it over and over again. So <laughs> the way you approach it, I love it. It's really good for our industry. So thank you, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Paul. Yep. Yeah.